The Spanish take steps, Italians dive into a semi-final and England score like locals when in Rome. All while the Great Danes are let off the leash from their master, Caspar the Friendly Coach. I'm James Zabo, here's Nicole Mino, and this is the Continental Breakfast thanks to Euro 2020 live app Sportsmate and TLA. Please download the app today, you won't regret it. Nico, we are going to scramble over some highlights today, post the lowlights and serve up whatever's left over in a brilliant show which covers all the things mm-hmm. that we're watching at the moment. It's semi-final time, Nicholas. Yep. Are you happy That's with your exciting. selection? Yep, wearing the England kit again today, and of mm. course you're wearing the Italy kit, and it looks like that's everyone's bet for the final. Yeah, I think uh, it is. heading into this week. Uh, it's, yeah, not ahead of the it's not it, easy though. I mean, anything can happen. Anything can happen. You're a bit overconfident. Oh, but like they're the, the they're the two informed teams, you'd say. Uh, they are. Nico, who was your hero from the quarterfinals? Um, again, going for an England player. Mm. Um, it does seem like I'm supporting them a bit, yeah, you've done it? this every week, I think. But it's no. Harry Kane. Yeah, of course it is. Harry Kane's the hero. Form is temporary. Class is permanent. He was back to his best against Ukraine. <laughs> uh, obviously scored the two goals in their 4-0 win. Yep. And it, look, he, he's hitting form at the right time now. He, he scored that last goal against Germany, and I think that was just the little mental boost he needed going into the quarterfinals. Starter, the little spark. And, and then it? that's it. He came out fire and got the opener, then doubled up in the second half, uh, took home the double, took home the uh, W as well. And Ooh. look, you can argue Ukraine didn't defend well, but yep, also good point. C- credit to England. Uh, they did what they had to do. And I think they were supplying Kane a bit more with good service. Uh, three of their four goals were scored from headers. They were whipping balls into the box. Mm. Uh, Luke Shaw was fantastic, I thought. Uh, Jaden Sancho as well, I thought was very good. That was his first, first start. start. Yeah. And he Did was you expect anything less though, Nico? I mean, you'd expect a win like that. They you, had to win, no doubt. They had to win. At least you put two or three past Ukraine That's at a it. minimum. And they scored and four. And they did. And that was emphatic. Defending was poor. Defending Ukraine was Ukraine were very poor. They probably played... 10 minutes of good football at the end of the first half. Yep. Other but, than that, they were extremely poor. That's all they could do, I mean, really. They could have won 1-0 or 2-0 again, and mm. we could have been saying, oh, that's not enough. You want to see an emphatic win. And that's what they yeah. did. They well, provided. the good thing, like you mentioned with Harry Kane, is that um, Gareth Southgate kept the faith in him, kept yep. the faith in Raheem Sterling, and they delivered. They delivered, um, and also the defense it, is delivering Luke as Shaw, well. Luke Shaw played um, a phenomenal game, and like you yep. said, Sancho playing, he's getting his first start. And now the question marks are there: to who, who does he go with for this lineup? I think I that's think the he, I think he sticks with what he did against Ukraine. That mm. that forward line had a bit of balance, like Sancho and Sterling on each side, Kane in the middle. I yeah. thought the midfield was well balanced with Mount Phillips, Declan Rice. Yeah. They got that right, and obviously they haven't conceded a goal yet this tournament. Which That's is right. Massive. I think Pickford's been good, but I don't think it's all been about Pickford. I think it's even the defense because the midfielders have worked hard yep. Harry to, to limit the opportunities in. for the opposition. Yep. Harry Maguire's been superb as well. So, and I think he was man of the match well, last game as well. They put a foot wrong, honestly. They haven't. They haven't. They, they but. C- People like you are getting a little bit too excited, I think. It's already... I'm, I'm not an England supporter. Home. You claim that I'm well, an you England are. supporter. You, you, I'm you, not an England supporter. <laughs> I you very much them. are. I respect them, but... Mm. Yep. There you go. My hero was uh, Gianluigi Donnarumma. And I have to go with an Italian because you chose an Englishman. <laughs> but I don't think you can underestimate the importance of this man. And especially the, the first half saves from him, especially that first one um, against Kevin De Bruyne. Now, that's going... 
that's going top corner. That is a big save with his right hand. Now, not a lot of keepers could make that save. Now, a lot of people say, oh, he's a tall man. He should make a save like that. His positioning was superb on that occasion. But it makes a big difference when you make two big saves early on because the defence is confident because of that. And he hasn't conceded more than one goal for Italy in his entire career playing for them. He's already, I think he's up to 30, 35, 36 caps for Italy. Not conceding more than one goal is huge. Now, you forget that he's only 22 years of age. That's okay. It. A 22-year-old like that, controlling the box like he does, I thought he was fantastic. And he's going to be one of the most crucial players in this next tie because if they're going to go through, especially without Spinazzola there, he's going to have to make at least a few big saves. We know that Spain can attack and they will have opportunities. So if they do get past Chiellini Bonucci, he's going to be um, a really important factor. Um, it's a massive stat that you mentioned, the fact mm. that he hasn't conceded more than two goals. So the opponent's gone up against England well, in more the last than, two More weeks. than one goal he hasn't conceded. Oh, sorry, yeah. more than one yeah, goal. I mean, at least two. two. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, they need a, the, the opponents going into these games against Italy uh, need to think that they need to go in to score, you know, more than one yeah. to get the win. That's right. And it is a presence Italians. as well because it puts doubt in the mind of attackers when you, when you go into a game and you see what this goalkeeper has done in the past. It does put doubt in the mind. And yep. so it's, it's an important game for him. Luckily for the Italians, a couple of times in the second half, um, Belgium wasted a few opportunities at the back post. One went over Lukaku's head. Spinazzola came um, and, and uh, intercepted one that should have been a goal from um, Lukaku as well. But yep. you, you, you only concede one from a penalty. It's That's looking it. good for the Italians. Yeah. Nico, what was your highlight? My highlight, Jimmy, was the Spain-Switzerland game. I'm a lover of a uh, good game of football, and this had it all. It had goals, obviously Mm. the red card, and then it went to penalties, and that was edge-of-the-seat stuff as well. But, you know, it started off with that um, early own goal from Dennis Zakaria. That uh, gave Spain the lead. Swiss equalized through Shakiri, And then they put up a good fight, Switzerland. Obviously, the red card to Freuner as well late on. So Was that a red card for you? Yeah, a double-footed challenge is yeah. always going to be a red card, no, I, I think. Was, I and, like, you don't have to do it. I like, thought it was harsh. Yeah, I know, but well, why go into it? Why give mm. the ref that decision um, to make? So I think he could have avoided it. It was disappointing. It was a very quick red card, wasn't it, from the referee? It the was. angle that he was on... One it of didn't the, make it look. One of his feet was. One of his feet high. was pretty high. I, I understand that, but at that time of the game, it was a big. Mm. I mean, it didn't cost them. Luckily, they they held on. So they held on. Yeah. Went to penalties and and Spain missing the first penalty. I think it was um, Busquets. Yep. Hit the post. Hit the post and the and then, uh, yeah, I guess uh, Switzerland missing the next two from two of their defenders, um, Akanji and Fabian Shah. Uh, you can't afford that against a good team. Spain capitalised and won the game, but yep. what a game of football. It was unbelievable. Poor penalties cost Switzerland and they'll be shattered because they had an opportunity to win that game. Especially, look, they copped the red card, they held on bravely and Jan Sommer made uh, countless saves in the um, in, in extra time to keep them in the game. Yep. And then when Spain missed the first penalty, you thought there is no way that Spain are getting through here. Their heads were down, they didn't look confident. Yeah, and he had a good just held on. tournament but that, but summer. He did have a good tournament, but I think it, it comes down to a little bit of experience, a little bit of composure in the big moments. Yeah. Maybe it's fatigue, I don't know, but in a penalty shootout, Spain looked the better side and there was yeah. a few penalties there that were just outrageous. Um, yep. So, yeah, no, they were fantastic and they, they go on to play uh, Italy because of that, but Switzerland didn't lose any fans. Very uh, proud uh, nation and, and they did well. I thought. did. 
Nico, my highlight was probably Denmark advancing because they, the Great Danes, they are a very good story. And who um, would have thought this? Yeah, I mean, some of them chose them as, as a dark horse. They knew what Denmark could do. But when they lost Ericsson, their yeah. best player, then yeah. it was like, oh, well, you know, they can't do it now. Exactly. But it's like he's he's still impacting the squad through his spirit and they're doing it for him because well, of that it. moment. It could have been a turning point. Like yeah. when, when he goes down, how are they going to react? Is it going to, you know, lower the self-esteem of the squad or are they yeah. going to use it as motivation? motivation? And they've used it as motivation. I thought this was Czech Republic's worst game of the tournament and unfortunately yep. it came in a in a knockout final. But I, I thought Denmark dominated. They were they were great from, from the start. They scored early. Um, Delaney scored that header early on. He could have had two. Um, and he's been superb at the back. Uh, him and Hoiberg in front of the defence have been one of the the, um, the main reasons why Denmark has advanced so much in this in this tournament. Um, I think Kasper Schmeichel, he's a, he's a fantastic keeper, but he made saves that you, you're supposed to make. I don't think they were challenged that much, but it is a good story that they're through and they're going to cause England problems. It's not an easy task. I know you think it's already set. You called another England 4-0. I don't think that's the case. <laughs> no, I don't I think, think Denmark like going to push them. They will. It's yeah. a semi-final at the end of the day, so I, I expect both teams to come out you know, firing, but also a bit cagey. Yeah. So Did you see that assist from Mailer? Unbelievable. Explain it. Yeah, from from came in from the left, outside of his boot, perfect to Dolberg, who yep. it, it went over the head of uh, another striker and went and he and he tapped it in with his right. It was fantastic. But is that's another Ad- Atlanta player that has stepped oh, up in this tournament? That's why you kept a close eye on him. Yeah, I always keep a close players. eye on the City R players. That's it was it. unbelievable, Nicholas. Nice one. What was your low light? Low light. You're not going to like this, Jimmy. Oh, what is it? Italy as a country and a nation, we know there's been some. They've got an artistic history about them. You know about Michelangelo and Donatello. What yeah. are some other Ninja yeah. Turtles? Um, oh, but this what I humor. don't like is the, is the dark arts yeah. of Italy yeah. and what the Italian footballers show. We you saw didn't like it. The last uh, it was minutes. on full display. I didn't like not just the last 20, yeah. 10, 20 minutes, but. Started off with Immobile in the first half. Now, that video went viral when he yeah. went down in the box looking for a penalty. Uh, it was rolling around like he broke his leg. Mm. And then, obviously, the first goal went in and he, and he got, got straight, straight up. back up to yeah. celebrate. But then, like you said, the last five, ten minutes, it, I mean, the Italians were falling like flies. Um, yeah. yeah, the faking injuries, Donnarumma, Giovanni, Di Lorenzo as well. And it got to a point where Brian Cristante went up to him and picked him up, picked him up, and he was just like, "Come on, man, we just got to get on with the game." Let's just get on with it. Um, Nico Barella went down at some point as well, and there was also one moment as well where Berardi, the he was in a one-man wall by himself for the uh, De Bruyne free kick, oh, and then he came forward. Yeah, De Bruyne went for goal, and you think that was on purpose to waste time? Yeah. He enroached the area, blocked De Bruyne's shot, and it kind of threw De Bruyne off. I think it was intentional. You reckon it was intentional? I think it was intentional. Um, You're a harsh man. Even with the penalty that Belgium Skeptical. got, I thought ugh, all the Italians were going up to the ref, giving them their two euros. You know, uh, <laughs> I thought they carried on a bit. Oh, um, this is this is good. You've worked on this. Well no, done. I'm just I'm just saying I didn't yeah. like the way they. I, I know like tensions are high for these so sorts what, of games. But do you think that's a penalty? A clear I thought penalty. it was a penalty, yeah. A clear one. I, I thought it was a penalty. I thought it was a 50-50. I was, I'm going for Italy. And I think, no, it was a 50-50, I think. But if the referee gives that, there is no way VAR, VAR is is overturning that no, decision. not at all. But Lorenzo didn't need to make that challenge. No, that was the thing. It was a thing. shove in the back. It was a shove. Yeah. He didn't need to do it together. either. He didn't need to. That was, that was the problem. He didn't need to. 
and then you, you cop your whack for that. But luckily it didn't cost them. I don't mind that sometimes in the last 20 minutes you do everything you can to win, Nico. It doesn't matter. And that's Time the mentality that you have in I Italy. I like it, the diving, and it's the like, carrying on. It's like, you know, the Juventus uh, mentality is that winning is not important. It's the only thing that matters. You do whatever you can to a, win I understand the match. that. It's just and a bad look. Yeah, I didn't like, you know, Immobile going over and then like go down, try and win the penalty. If there's contact, fair enough, yeah. because that's the only way you're going to win a penalty. But get up if you're not actually hurt. They're the ones that annoy me. Yeah. And in the last 20 minutes, you take a little bit of time off the clock. Sometimes it's not too bad. I'm not... Yeah, I'm not that critical of that. You know, you do what you can to win, Nick. This, I this is but this is uh, this is very the important. Game. Spirit yeah. of the game. Come no, on. fair enough. My low light was Ukraine. Now they didn't have a chance to dive on the floor because they were behind from from the word go, and they were fatigued. <laughs> they, were. they were injured. They defended really, really poorly, which is unfortunate. I don't want to have a it's crack a at shame. Ukraine because to get there is, is a great accomplishment in itself. But I thought their fi- their final was against Sweden. That's and him. when they were coming against England, I think we said last show, we said, well, England are playing what's left of Ukraine. Mm. It's not the whole, the whole squad. The extra 30 minutes in that game last oh, week for Ukraine them. took it out of them. It killed they them. looked exhausted. Uh, yeah, they, they did look exhausted. I think even Harry Kane, when he's in the box and they're not manning, like marking up properly, they're allowing a free header. It was just, yeah, after that first goal went in, for England, mm-hmm. the head dropped. You knew that Ukraine weren't getting back into it. I mean, like I said, 10 minutes they played good 10 minutes of football at the end of the first half. But other than that, they didn't really uh, do much. But yeah. they didn't – I don't – again, I don't think they lost a lot of fans because they got to that stage of, of the competition. Not a lot of people predicted them to get there. So, mm-hmm. so good on them. Yeah. But I had to mention them in the low light, unfortunately. Nico, let's preview the semifinals. Now, Three Italy Italy and Spain. Massive. What's your prediction for this one? And what are you looking forward to in this match? I think I think Italy progress. Mm. I don't think what we've seen from Spain, the Spanish people, the Spanish fans listening aren't going to like this, but I don't think they have been a top four side in this tournament. I think they're very lucky that they've gotten this far because of the other teams that have gone out early. Yep. I don't think they're as good as what they have been in years gone by. Um, Italy are just a side in form that should get the job done in the first 90 minutes. And don't get me wrong, anything can happen in a semifinal. And I think Spain, I mean, if, if the game goes to extra time or penalties, uh, Spain's obviously a massive chance. Mm. But I think Italy are just full of confidence at the moment. And Spain are lacking strikers. Their defense is a bit leaky. But uh, in saying that, I think it'll be a close game. Mm. And But, yeah, Italy should get the job done. Yeah, on paper and form... Yeah, uh, Spain don't have much of a chance, but we know that's not the every time they've won a quarter final in their history of the Euros, they've gone on to lift the trophy, mm-hmm. which is a great stat for for Spain and and yep. Italy and, and Spain have history. They've played in the last consecutive four Euros. They've, they've matched up against each other. Um, it's never an easy game against Spain, but like you said, I think the strikers may have gained a little bit of confidence from scoring lately. Like they're like building into the tournament. But their defence has been leaky the entire time, and yeah. we even saw it uh, last game as well. It was it was pretty shocking at times. It was so they haven't convinced me yet. They no, haven't they, have, they haven't convinced where me had either. A big win. I think it's going to be interesting. Both both teams like to um, outnumber and put pressure on the ball to win it back and be in possession when they can. Mm-hmm. But they do it in different styles, so it's going to be interesting. But I think that Spain are going to be a lot more patient than Italy in this yeah. tournament. They know that the way Italy like to attack, they haven't got that regular number nine that you can give the ball to and go and 
create, like we say, they need to get over the top and they need space. Yeah. So in order to get that space, they're going to have to pass the ball backwards, try different things tactically to get that space over yeah. the top. There's question marks, should Immobile start after he had a pretty poor game last time out? I think he still starts. Um, yeah. I agree. But it's going to be interesting to see what Spain do with their defence as well. Laporte yeah. starts, but who do you put up with him as well? Because Torres was pretty poor, well, I you thought. You finally bring in De Gea. He's been no, sitting on the I, bench the whole no. time. Why <laughs> isn't he even in there? No, Can he's... You, uh, shed some light on that. Why? Well, because I think he, the um, the starting keeper was given a chance and he took his chance and he's better with his feet, right? Yeah. He's be- he's much better than De Gea with his feet right. coming in. And okay, but we enough. saw the mistake he made with his feet. Yeah. So that's when the yeah. question marks came. If you're bringing this keeper in solely, his handling's not as good as the other two keepers, but his feet is better. Yeah, against better. Croatia, and then he made that that yeah. error, but he. he other than that, he can pass out from the back and that's what Spain like to do, which is why he's starting. Fair enough. And he's made a couple of crucial saves, so he'll probably keep his spot, I think. Yep. Denmark and England? Look, uh, I think this this could go either way. Obviously, England are always prone to you've be on the other Just side. Just be honest, you've tipped 4 no, I, I'm tipping England. Yeah. I'm tipping four England. Um, and, I mean, it's played at Wembley. That's a massive factor, I think. Yeah. And even the final we played at Wembley. So they've got the crowd on their side for these last two games. Should they progress past the semi-final? But I just I don't see them losing at home yeah. to Denmark, and I think Denmark will put up a big fight. But yeah. I think England should get the job done again. They're coming off a big win, full of confidence. They didn't have to go through extra time or anything like that. They should get the job done. Yeah. I mean, it was almost the perfect way to um, to head into this game with a four 0 not conceding. Um, the you know, Harry Kane scoring, Sterling's playing well. Yeah. I mean, everything is going right. The fact is, though, if Denmark score an early goal, Could what, them. what is going to happen? Because th- there's all this uh, excitement about England and fans are on their side. They haven't conceded. What happens? Does that that pre- that pressure is right on if they concede early? And they might rattle because them. they haven't been because in that they situation. haven't been in that situation. Yeah, and it was at the start yeah. there was skepticism. Is, is this English side going to do anything? They haven't really impressed us. Are they looking good? And then it's slowly, slowly building. This is great. It's coming home. What happens if the goal comes for yeah. Denmark? I think it might rattle them. It could. It could, yeah. They haven't I, had I, to uh, come from behind you yet. You know what, Nico? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tip a draw from 90 minutes and anything can happen in extra time. And so pretty much you're tipping Denmark. Is that what you're saying? No, I'm tipping a draw and England will probably get a goal in extra time. I want it to be he, an he Italy. He doesn't like England, I want Jimmy. it to be an Italy-England final. That's what I'm. That's what I, think, I want. I think that's what everyone's hoping for I too. Think so. it, that, that's Denmark have won in 1992 strength. though. So, and England have never won a Euro. So this is it, well, it's a big. No, it's uh, the first time for everything. It, right. it, it would be a promoter's dream to have England Italy. That'd 100%. be massive. It would be. Um, hey, speaking of promoter's dream, I've got an interview with Max Merrill coming up. He is a well, champion. That's a big one. That's a big one. He's been uh, corresponding for Optus Sport over there in Europe. He's covering the Euros. He knows it all. He can speak German. He can speak English. He can speak the language of football like no one else. And I can't wait to speak to him. So stay good. tuned. It's all from Nick and I. Uh, but hashtag Continental Breakfast. Get involved in the show and let us know what you think of this interview coming up now.
Okay, today's guest is a professional sports presenter and broadcast journalist with a passion for football as strong as his love of beer and German cuisine. With extensive knowledge of the world game and expert hosting skills, this man informs and entertains us through countless media channels such as Optus Sport and Euromax. He's an outgoing, adventurous character whose dedication to the Bundesliga, European football and informing the viewer is evident in every cross, interview and video of him running 5Ks in a Santa costume. It is my great pleasure to welcome Mr. Max Merrill to the Continental Breakfast. Max, how are you? Hi, James, what an intro. I feel so blessed. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm all right. I'm, I'm well. I'm back in Berlin after uh, uh, spending quite a lot of time in Munich during the Euros, or most of the time, actually. And uh, so for me, the tournament uh, is largely over as a professional, although I am on shift uh, for the semi-finals. Yep. But um, yeah, I was in the stadium, loving, loving life, living the dream. Uh, and now I'm back to harsh reality of sitting in an office. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I'll, I have to ask you what the weather's like because you just said it's raining outside. Is it still humid, yeah. normal? What, what is it like there? Yeah, Berlin is quite humid. Berlin, the word Berlin is actually uh, a Sorbic, which is an old language, an old sort of Slavic language that was spoken in this region. It's a Sorbic word for swamp. Berlin has a lot of, if you dig 10 meters, you hit water in Berlin. Um, and when it rains, it, it's like serious rain. Uh, yeah. It's not like in the UK where you get the drizzle. We, we, although saying that we have had a little drizzle just now, yeah. but yeah, so it's really, the summers are really hot and humid. We've got loads of lakes as well. So there's lots of just humidity in the air. Today's all right, 27 degrees, but high humidity. So a bit of a sweat going on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully you can cool yourself down with a beer. I know you like to get into your beers. In one of your latest uh, videos that I watched, you revealed that a German on average drinks 25 liters more beer than an Australian per year. How many liters have you done this tournament? Uh, I've definitely uh, gone over my average for uh, for the last few years, especially yeah. with pandemic. I've I've weirdly gone in the other direction. Just I'm a bit of a so, I'm more of a social drinker, so um, I, I haven't really had a lot of beer in the last few years. But then during the tournament, we were based in Munich. I mean, yeah. and me and my cameraman, we get on really well. So uh, Manuel, sh- shout out to Manuel. Um, and you know, in Bavaria, they have this mass culture. So you can get these elsewhere in Germany, but a liter size yeah. of, of beer, which is, I think uh, I'm correct in saying that's two and a half skewies almost. <laughs> um, yeah. And it's, it's, it's weirdly goes down really well. Like mm-hmm. you'd think a liter of beer after like half of it, it gets warm. And yeah. I don't know what they do with the glass. There's some sort of technology in there. <laughs> I don't know, but it's, it's great. And you, you end up drinking just at such a, uh, heavier pace just because you you know you're trying to finish your glass like anyone but it's a liter so yeah <laughs> definitely gone up uh, during the tournament yeah brilliant so other than drinking beer tell me what an average day for you looks like during during a tournament what are you what are you doing yeah so this tournament was kind of has, has been kind of for me the best yet because usually so i work for for dw uh, which is germany's international broadcaster kind of similar to like bbc world or france 24 or something like that um, so I obviously I work in English for them mainly for the sports output. Um, so usually in tournaments I would be in Berlin uh, covering covering the, the the tournament from afar, basically cutting together match highlights, going into the studio, doing analysis and like breakdowns of games. Um, so this this opportunity came along. Uh, I was meant to be in 2020 for actual Euro 2020. I was going to be based in London for DW and covering mainly the England matches there. Um, and then the pandemic came and everything sort of went up in arms. 
and then I got this opportunity to to work for, with Optus, uh, which is the Australian broadcasters, you know, the, um, who have the rights for the Euros, and that was fantastic because it was just well, access all areas. So uh, on a on a normal non-match day, uh, we'd usually get up and talk to to uh, one of the producers who was um, sort of on our schedule. No, hold on. He was on Australian schedule. So we had one Australian schedule producer, one European schedule producer, both based in Sydney. Yeah. So whoever of them was awake, I'd just speak to and say, look, uh, we've got this idea to do a beer garden tour. Like how how silly can I get? How how far can I go? Yeah. <laughs> what kind of language do you want me to use sort of thing? And yeah. um, and then on match days, we have we had like really regimented schedules. So we'd like usually do seven, eight, nine crosses early morning in the city center or mid, mid, midday in the city center, then progress in front of the stadium uh, during halftime of the early match, if there was one. And then um, we'd go into the stadium, just do crosses a couple before match, halftime, post-match uh, into the breakfast show in, in Australia. So that was kind of the, the match day schedule. Yeah. Yeah. No. So how much prep do they actually give you before you, you go live? So do they, do they prep you and say, we're going to ask you this, this, and this, or is it sometimes you just, Hey, we're going coming to you live. Just go for it. Um, yeah, kind of a mix. It depends on who, who, who you're talking to. So, um, but you know, I definitely, you know, I, everyone has to, you have to expect that there's no prep basically. Yeah. I mean, with Optus have been really, really great. Communication has been really good there um, where, you know, Shortly before we go live, we're testing the connection quite a bit in advance. Uh, then shortly before we go live, we have, uh, I usually just had a chat uh, with uh, the presenter or presenters. So in the mornings, for me at least in the mornings, uh, Melons, uh, Claudes. Yep. Um, and then people like Rich Bayless or Neve or whoever whoever was on, on shift presenting the show. So we just have a little quick chat. Um, often the producer would text me ahead of time just saying is there anything particularly you want to hit or like you know one day i said oh i've just caught this guy on camera who balances a beer on his head can yeah. we get this in the show and then i'll talk about him and yeah. stuff so so it's always nice to be for them to be proactive and and that usually was the case with optus i've worked with other broadcasters in the past where that's not really the case where for whatever reason maybe they don't have time because they're running the whole show themselves anyway uh, or or just just forgot or whatever so so my mindset is always just just be ready with like a list of things sometimes i have a little piece of paper that i stick just below the camera just in case if this especially if it's like a touchy subject yeah if it's like a controversial thing just so i don't get my lines fluffed or whatever yeah nice um am i correct in saying so your mother is german uh you were born in yeah. germany but your father's english and i think you were raised over there where, where do your alliances lie as so are you are you an english fan through and through or uh, are you german fan when they're up and about what's <laughs> What fan? Yeah, you- I was having a conversation uh, with a mate of mine who's who's uh, he has three passports. He's German English parents. Uh, dad's from Newcastle. He was born in Newcastle, Australia. So, and I, for me, you know, I was I was born in Berlin. I was raised in Berlin. I went to a German American school. Yeah. Um, so I always stuck out as the the English guy. Um, and uh, between like the age of seven and 10 or something I did have an American accent because I kind of just assimilated my dad sort of drummed that out of me but you know (laughs) and uh, um, but yeah so I I I went to I finished school in in uh, in Berlin then went to Scotland for uni and then England uh, Manchester for uni as well but um, as we we always went over you know I know all my cousins over there um, and my uncles and loads of pals as well just we we used to go every year 
when I was really young, we still had a flat that my dad was subletting in, in London. And then that got too costly and he ended up selling it. And that all, I don't even know if he owned it, maybe not. But um, then then we used to just go to my granddad's up in near Newcastle or my family down in, near Salisbury or in London and Yorkshire and, and those kind of areas of, of uh, UK. So I was always there, but like I stuck out as the only English guy, except for my mate George in an American school. So um, yeah, watching football with my dad, it was always England. And, and until I was like, 22 i really didn't even like watching germany i wasn't like a fan at all and then when i moved to scotland everyone was like oh you're a german and i was like no i'm not i'm english like what do you want but yeah. then being in living in scotland being english is not as good as being german in scotland yeah, where people <laughs> <laughs> so so i around about two i mean 2006 world cup i remember watching germany and quite kind of liking it it was a younger team as well um and then 2010, no way, England all the way, and obviously England lost. And then 2014 was the first tournament where I kind of really was like, had a connection, felt a connection with Germany, and then obviously they won it. But um, I still, England is still number one for me. Yep. It's, it's a different feeling. Like even just, you know, when they score, it's just a different feeling. So I like Germany. I, I feel German. I didn't always feel German. I yep. always felt like an English guy from Berlin was always my home, but now I feel sort of 50-50 also just because of other things <laughs> that yeah. have happened since. But uh, yeah, 50-50 yeah. and you're presenting as well, obviously fluent in German and English. Which do you prefer um, presenting in? 100% English. I just feel, oh. I, I, I used to make music as well and I always wrote yeah. songs in, in English. Just feel more comfortable. Just, it's just easier also for me to like, you know, to have banter or yeah. Um, it's it's for me, it's the more creative language. So German is the more sort of pragmatic language in my my sort of uh, life. Um, and yeah, English has always been more comfortable. And like you rightly point out, I do present in German as well. Uh, the, this culture show I do called Euromax, I present in both languages. Yeah. Uh, not named after me, by the way. <laughs> Can't take credit for that. But um, I. Yeah, nine. I'd say still ninety to ninety-five percent of my work is in English, which is weird considering I live in Germany. Mm. And growing up, did you always want to be a, a journalist or reporter, or was it? Did you want to play football? What was your dream growing up? I mean, I, I very young. I wanted to play football, and yeah. my mum uh, didn't want me to. She, as in, like in a club. I I played football always yeah, in yeah, the yeah. park near my house and stuff, but. Um, my mum didn't want me to join a football club because she said they're all like, um, I don't know how you would translate the German word, maybe like chavs almost, but not quite. Uh, there is, there is, she did have some sort of truth to it because there was, you know, there is a sort of culture here in some Berlin clubs where the parents are like, you know, knock him off his feet, just yeah. give him one, da, da, da. And she was not a fan of that. And, and she said when I was about six or whatever, if you want to play in a in a club you got to go yourself and I was like well I'm six this is not going to work out so I played all sorts of different sports um but I still always yeah I loved football and I I dreamed you know I was on in the park and we'd you know be like taking a free kick and thinking yeah I'm David Beckham now and and I oh, you're Paul Scholes and you're this and uh, I loved watching football and um, got always got excited when England played and Manchester United is my club. Even though my dad supports Arsenal, he he failed on that one. I always tell him you sh you could have easily made me an Arsenal supporter, but you just didn't try enough. Uh, and then I watched Man United and that's it. beat Arsenal, and I and I saw all the England players, and I was yeah. like, well, that's who I support anyway. Yeah. Um, good choice, good choice, Max. 
Yeah. So, so uh, yeah. And in terms of like a journalist, like that wasn't really on my radar. Like my dad worked in, he was a singer originally, but then he worked in, in radio um, uh, for many years and, and also television. But it was, so it was something that I was familiar with, but not something that I necessarily wanted to do. Um, I was, I went to uni um, with the, with the idea of becoming a teacher, uh, studied English and music, didn't like, I love music and love making music, but I didn't like studying it. So I, I swapped that for another subject. And then it was only until my, I think, second or third year of uni that I kind of thought, um, I, li I listened to a lot of talk sport back then. Uh, and Colin Murray was was really the guy where I was listening to him. And I was like, this guy is not sort of a standard presenter. He was a kind of guy who who had his own opinions, who had his own ideas of what he wanted to do. And there's there's other guys like that now that I listen to. I listen to a lot of basketball podcasts. So Bill Simmons, Kevin O'Connor, Chris Vernon. Those are all guys where I just think, man, these these it's not a charade. It's not the, yeah. hello, today we're going to talk about football. <laughs> it's just, hey, we're going to talk about football. And I, I really don't, I don't agree. And it was much more natural. And listening to talk sport and especially Colin Murray uh, that made me want to do it. And then I, so I joined a, a, a community radio station in Aberdeen where I was and very quickly presented my own show called Not the News. Um, it was, you know, it wasn't paid there. It was, they were always needed airtime to be filled. So I joined the sports show there as well, which was really focused on like Aberdeen and S Scottish sport. Um, and uh, yeah, presented my own show there. And, and then, then I started to do internships and, um, decided to do a master's in broadcast journalism down in Manchester. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, th that relationship, obviously you've done um, this tournament and other, other, other tournaments. What's the relationship like with other reporters from around the world? Is it, is it very collegiate? I know you've got, it looks like you've got a good connection with uh, Adriana Del Monte and Tancredi Palmieri, especially that last game you're watching together, but what's it, what's it like the relationship? Is there big personalities? Sometimes you clash or does everyone get along? Yeah, it, it really depends, you know. Um, I'm always surprised, pleasantly surprised, when people in the broadcast industry are nice, especially on camera. Yeah. You know, there are definitely people who are who are tricky, who are very uh, worried. I, I worked early in my career with someone who was, you know, always looking over his shoulder, always worried about the new people coming in and always mm -hmm. then trying to impose himself and, and, and kind of be dominant and kind of show who's boss. Uh, so there's definitely those types of characters and you've got to be careful i think in the industry just how how much you let that happen to you and uh but saying that i i'm always pleasantly surprised um and more often than not when people people usually are nice and people are i think that's the way to go like adriano for instance i didn't know adriano before this tournament uh we met in the middle of the city center knowing hey we got to meet and then immediately go on air together yeah. Um, and he he couldn't have been more easy to work with and nicer. Um, so you know, I'll stay in touch with him. And and he's an example of of people where you think before you meet them, you don't know what they're going to be like. You don't know if they're going to be sort of protective about their turf or or precious about their time or whatever it may be. Um, and so often I'm proven wrong by that, you know. And and I I try to do that myself. Like also, I think in a piece of advice that my da dad gave me early on when I was um, performing with my band um, back in back in school, he always said, when you go to a venue, like say hi to the lighting guy, the sound guy, make sure that you appreciate what they're doing, because those are the people who make you look and sound good. 
um, same as the cameraman. And I've, I've always tried to keep that up, you know, especially as a presenter, I see a lot of colleagues who, you know, walk into the studio, the makeup person, they go, yeah, go away, go away. Oh, the sound, yeah, yeah the, they don't treat these people with respect. And those are your colleagues. Those aren't, you know, you're not like their boss. You know, I ha we all have the same boss. <laughs> and that's the person who might be uh, a bit short with us or whatever. But like at the in the studio, just because you're in front of camera, you know, it's the same with uh, working with Manuel, the cameraman here, you know, who is just such, such a pro, um, so good at what he does. And I think it's so important to, to also take into account, like whenever he, you know, I always bounce off opinions off of him because like at the end of the day, it's a two man team. Uh, one person's in front of the camera, one person's behind. So yeah. And, and like I say, in broadcasting, there are definitely people you've got to be careful of, but uh, also, yeah. you know, always be, always be friendly and, and, and hopefully you'll get it back. I was actually going to ask you what your, your best piece of advice would be. Is it around that and building relationships with people around you? That's definitely part of it. I mean, that's something, like I say, my dad gave me that advice early on because he's in the entertainment industry and, and yeah. just said, look, like you, you got to be, you got to be humble and, and um, you know, uh, realize that you're, you, you might be the face of the operation if you're in front of camera or in behind the mic or whatever, mm. but you're not the, the only person making this thing happen, you know? Um, but also an, another piece of advice I always give uh, people who um, is, you know, what my experience was getting into the industry, you obviously, many people do a lot of internships or take opportunities wherever they may come. Mm -hmm. And I always think um, if, if you have a bad time somewhere, that's actually probably more useful than having like a good time somewhere. Because when you have a bad internship experience or job experience early on, that gives you a clear idea. I don't want to do this. This is hundred percent not part of what I want to do with my life. So it kind of gives you a really good idea of like a checklist of things that you can rule out. Um, so that's something that I always, always try and, uh, uh, communicate is like, if you have an internship that goes badly, that's a really valuable experience just because you've now realized that's not what I want to do. And, and I had a few of those early on in my career, um, where, yeah, just helped me realize like, okay, so let me focus a little bit closer on where I want to go. Mm. Um, and obviously you still do different things and stuff. And I do lots of different things in my career now, but, um, there's also been points now in the last few years where I just have to weed out certain things where I just think that's not worth my time or that's not making me happy or whatever. Mm, no, I like that. I wanted to ask you, Max, because on the outside, a lot of people say, oh, you know, sports reporting and journalism, geez, that's the dream job. It's so good. You must love life. There's a lot of hard work that goes into it, a lot of sacrifices you need to make. And to get through it and to get to where you are, um, obviously, you need things that motivate you. What, what motivates you to, to work hard and, and keep achieving? There's something in particular. Ah, uh, yeah, I'm trying to think what motivates me. I mean, it's it's definitely moments like this with uh, Optus, you know, yeah. uh, doing the Euros. That's definitely a huge motivator, and that's something that I'm I'm you know really pleased that uh, that that happened. And mm. um, I think also you know you have to find stuff that works for you. If you go into sports journalism, you're very right. I mean, it sounds kind of cheesy, but you're right. You give up a lot of things, especially your weekends. Yeah. Like that's one thing that, you know, I, I sort of thought about before, but it, once it really happens and you, you know, your mates are out on the weekend and they say, Oh, do you want to come? And you go, now nah, I've got to do Bundesliga stuff. Um, or, you know, there's a lot of shift work in, in, in journalism. So I, I do early shifts and late shifts, even sometimes do night shifts, which I hate doing, but, um, 
so, you know, you, and you kind of have to build your life around that. So for me, it was the thing that's kind of kept me going with that is just finding ways like, um, so with the late shift, not, uh, early shift thing, it's really important for me to use the, the, the day. So if you work nine to five, a lot of people come home 6 PM or whatever, and then they have their routine, they make their dinner, they watch TV and then they go to bed or whatever, or they might go to the gym late or whatever. So for me, it's like creating that kind of routine within a, a shift schedule, uh, bubble of like, okay, I've got a late shift. I need to get out of bed still at like nine, maybe go play some basketball, maybe go to the gym, or maybe even if it's just like going for a little walk and, and uh, meeting a mate for a coffee. Um, that's, that's, that's kind of, that kind of keeps me going. But yeah, in terms of motivation, like it's, it's just big moments, like being in the stadium, soaking up the atmosphere, being able to like, we were able, especially because of the COVID situation with our accreditation, I was able to walk through the whole stadium, join, like sit down, as long as there was two seats either side, I, I could sit down anywhere in the stadium. And that was just cool to be like able to soak up the atmosphere that, that way and, 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 and watch the games, you know, at the same time, like I'm, I'm still a fan, you know, I, I football is still something I really love watching the pandemic and, and also working the last few years, you know, with back-to-back -back sort of always season tournament, season tournament kind of spoiled it a little bit. Like it, I got less excited about football. It was, um, but then, Euro 2020 kind of reignited the flame. Mm -hmm. That's brilliant. And Euro 2020, I want to ask you about it. I need your tips for the upcoming semi-final. So, who's making the final? Is it is it going to be Italy against England, like most people are predicting, or can you see an upset coming? Um, I mean, yeah, the, the this Euros has been brilliant because so many things have been unexpected. Um, and there's just been so many goals as well. Like I, I'm in a prediction uh, thing at work uh, where we all buy in and then do predictions and bonus predictions and all that stuff. I'm solid mid-table, uh, <laughs> not going to lie. I mean, it's not, I'm not far off, but I, I unfortunately picked France and Portugal to be in the semis. So yeah. Uh, most, no most did. Yeah, most did. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And usually with these prediction rounds, at least at our work, it's it's open to everyone, not just the sports guys. And it's yeah. hardly ever the sports guys that win, just because exactly. we always don't <laughs> we don't really back the underdog too much. But um I Denmark, I mean, as an England supporter, you're always you have to be worried just because of yeah. precedent. You know, it's always been uh, a little bit tricky to uh, to foresee us just getting into the final, even though the path was so clear. The Ukraine performance may, made me a lot more optimistic, although Ukraine didn't really sit back as much as I expect Denmark might do, because uh, Denmark are a lot cleverer. I think with Ukraine, I, I really like that Shevchenko said, just go for it. But at the same time, that opened the door for England. Like if, if Ukraine had just sat back with two banks of four and said, try, I think England would have struggled a lot more. And I again don't. I didn't see Spain really getting out of the group stage after that first performance. Um, I still think Italy have got it. I mean, it's Italy's tournament to lose, really. I mean, Spinazzola being out, you know, Florenzi is also still out. I don't know if he's going to be able to come back. Um, they, uh, you know, obviously they survived with Di Lorenzo on the right. Uh, oh, sorry, yeah, on the right hand side, thought, but yeah. Spinazzola. That's a big blow. So um, Emerson's solid, but he's not like the same quality of, of player. And I think what Isley had so much was the chemistry. So I just worry if that upsets the chemistry. But I still back them to get to the final. I still back England to get to the final. I like Denmark's side a lot. I really like Josef Paulsen, for instance, who plays for RB Leipzig. I've watched him play quite a lot. And he's just such a hard worker as well, and as well as being talented. And, and over the last few years, has 
finishing has improved a lot. Mm. Uh, I think Denmark have a really cool team. Like that that front three is exciting. It's mobile and and they're just quite quality throughout the side. But England at home, I'm backing them. So I think England Italy final. If I'm being realistic, I think Italy beat England. Uh, but you know, it's coming home. That's right. It's at Wembley as well. I mean, from the outside, it looks like the England fans and, and the whole nation is very confident about this. But like you said, you know, it's hard to be confident as an English fan. What What is the vibe like for you and, and, and the people you know around England? Is it is it that confidence or is it a kind of fake confidence you put on the mask and think, God, I hope we don't stuff this? Yeah, I mean, loads of my mates uh, in England or or here in Berlin also, like they always, when they say it's coming home, they sort of yeah. catch themselves and they're like, yeah. oh, no, I better not say it. Like, yeah, like it's like, it's, it's like it's Voldemort or whatever. Like you know, <laughs> yeah. the thing that shall not be named or like, yeah. don't yeah. mention and don't mention the war or whatever. But uh, mm. the, um, yeah, I think, I mean, my mate Finn in, in England is like, he, he, after the uh, previous round where England beat Germany, he was like, sending me voice notes where he, he sounded like he'd yeah he was on a real high and 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 loving life and i think uh you know with with the pandemic just people seem more excited uh about about well you know you're always excited at a tournament but the, i think the pandemic has done something to people where they they just drink in the moments now like yeah. whatever moment uh you get i think a lot of people have, have learned to live in the moment a bit more so mm-hmm. i think the mood is one of slightly cautious optimism that's what i'm getting from from like friends and family um and i'm just excited i, I really hope they make the final because i've got the final off so uh, yeah, just enjoy, it. enjoy it yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm working for the semis <laughs> hey last one max before i ask you i do 10 quick questions with all of my guests the first thing that comes to your head but i wanted to know the vibe in germany so what was the the reaction like after um, Germany was knocked out because there was a little bit of disappointment the way that they first played. And then there was a kind of the hope, oh, maybe they're clicking into gear now. And then there was the disappointment again. What 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 is the vibe like over there? Yeah, the Portugal game gave people yeah. massive false hope, I think, because um, beating Portugal 4-2, and we can't remember it was 4-2, like they conceded early in the first half and they yeah. conceded again late on. And it was both times, Manuel Neuer was furious. Um we were in Munich after the Portugal game and it was like, we just made the semis or whatever, you know, and everyone was out in the streets. Everyone was loving it. Um, I think going into the tournament, most people were real, being realistic and thinking, okay, we have France and Portugal in the group stage. This isn't going to be an easy one. Um, that Portugal game, like I say, gave people false hope. Hungary, people just thought, oh yeah, whatever, we're through. Um, and then this weird thing happened after the England game that people were suddenly trashing the team, especially the media were like, oh, there's no heart, there's no soul to this team. I like the Germany squad. It's not as good as some squads in the past, but I think, you know, you look at like a guy like Robin Gosens, who's been a real find at left wing back. I think they should stick to the back three. It works well for players like Ginter and Rudiger play that way for their club anyway. Um, so yeah, I think like a few fans that I've spoken to have been kind of like, much more forgiving than the media here have been and just said, look, it just wasn't our tournament. It wasn't um, set up for us. We don't have the best, we don't have one of the best squads or starting 11s. So I think, you know, for Hansi Flick, the important thing to figure out is is the attack, really. I think the midfield with with Goretzka, I, I expect Kimmich will probably move into midfield and then they'll, they'll play whoever they can on the right-hand side. But um, I think there's enough talent up front. It's just figuring out that mix. And I do think they... 
as as old school as it sounds, I think they would benefit from a number nine or, of sorts. Yeah, so I think I think there's not a great amount of talent coming through yeah. in terms of like out and out strikers. But even if you play Werner, I, I liked it, the lineup against uh, England. I liked it a lot. Mm-hmm. Well, good things to look forward to then, hopefully. And uh, I'm looking forward to this. Ten quick questions, Max. The first thing that comes to your head, okay? All right. Your favorite food? Indian, all Indian food, mm-hmm. all curries. Yeah, oh, nice. Uh, favorite European country to holiday in? Ooh, England yeah. or Spain? But or England. Spain. We're going. Okay. Uh, the best person you've ever interviewed? Uh, probably Kimish was cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll go Kimmich. Kimmich, nice. Uh, who is your idol? Colin Murray, I'd say probably, yeah. Your favourite movie? Pineapple Express. Oh, nice. Uh, other than learning to do your own makeup for shows, what's your greatest accomplishment? <laughs> you, what have you found of me? Um, <laughs> greatest I don't know, probably Euro 2020 is, if I look at my own stuff, like, yeah, that's probably what I feel most proud about and happy about, yeah. Brilliant. Out of all the players left in the tournament, uh, who would you choose to score a penalty to save your life? Ooh, probably the Jorginho miss one last season. I think probably Jorginho. Yeah, Jorginho is I would go Jorginho. Yeah. But he has missed in the past, but that's all right. We'll take the chance. Um, what makes you angry? Uh, just people making things more complicated than they need to be. And, and uh, also uh, yeah, policies on climate change <laughs> don't make me too happy. <laughs> that's fair enough, too. Uh, one thing not many people know about you. Oh, I don't know what I can, I can reveal. Um, maybe that I'm vegan. Why are you vegan? Yeah, I didn't know that. There you go. Yeah. Vegan. I guess so. Very nice. Last one. If you had a time machine and you could go back to attend any sporting event in history, which one would you go back to? Probably 1966 World Cup <laughs> final. Probably. Uh, although the the part of that treble winning season from Man United... Yeah, I would like to have been there as well for, for maybe the Champions League final. Although, the, but the Champions League final was pretty rough for like ninety minutes. So mm. <laughs> I don't know if I would have wanted to live through that. That's yeah, what I think. Yeah, sixty-six. I thought you'd say that, yeah. Max. You're an absolute legend, mate. It's been a pleasure to speak to you. I've loved chatting to you today, and I love watching you cover the game in Europe. You're a true professional. I wish you nothing but the best, mate. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Yeah, and thanks to be, for being so kind. I don't deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> you definitely do, mate. Let's keep in touch. Uh, hopefully, yeah. I'll, uh, I'll come to Berlin one day. We can get a one-liter beer together. We'll do it. Yeah. All right. Nice one. Thank you. Thank you, mate. Cheers.